This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. This is where non-technical executives stay ahead of the AI curve. You don't want to learn how to write Python, but you do want to stay involved in terms of building AI strategies and identifying high ROI AI opportunities. You found yourself in the right place, and I appreciate you here as a listener. Today, we're going to be diving in on a topic that we, I don't think, have ever covered on the show, and that's rare at this point with some 800-plus episodes over the years. We are covering the topic of insuring AI solutions, that is to say, writing insurance policies for AI applications. And who better to speak with us than the head of insurance AI for Munich Re? Munich Re is a 60 plus billion dollar insurance giant. Their head of insurance AI is based, not surprisingly, in Palo Alto. Michael Berger is our guest today, and Michael brings a few different perspectives to the show that I think will be valuable for any listener, whether you're in insurance or not. First, we get a sense of what kinds of risks are inherent with large AI deployments. Whether you are an e-commerce company or you're a company that makes self-driving cars, in either case, there is business damage, there is reputational damage, there are legal risks, there are physical risks. So we cover a little bit of what is there to be covered. And secondly, we talk about how monitoring that risk and pricing that in from an insurance policy standpoint can be updated and be kind of a living document based on adapting to the changing application itself. As an AI deployment makes its way out into an enterprise, it gets exposed to more data types. Data types become more popular, less popular. There's drift in certain directions. Algorithms may be used in different ways. How do we stay on top of that as an insurance firm to be able to accurately gauge risk? So from a business model standpoint on insurance, it's pretty fascinating, and it's interesting to get a sense as to where the whole insurance industry is headed as the world's data wakes up. But again, you're also going to learn where risks actually emerge, what is worth considering as a risk in an enterprise-grade AI deployment. Michael's got some great perspective as someone who both has a lot of technical chops as well as a very high-up position in one of the world's biggest insurance companies. At the end of this episode, I will mention a little bit more about our AI and financial services podcast, where we go more and more into exactly these kinds of use cases in financial services. We're obviously sharing them with you here today in the AI and business podcast, but I'll save that for the outro. For right now, let's fly right into this episode. I certainly enjoyed interviewing Michael on this topic, and I think you'll learn a lot. So without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Michael Berger, head of insurance AI at Munich Re, here on the AI and business podcast. So, Michael, I'm glad we're able to connect today. We're talking about a topic that has not been the headliner of an episode in all of our 800-episode history of the AI and Business Podcast, which is insuring AI solutions. You guys are in the insurance business, a gigantic firm in the insurance business at Munich Re. What kinds of projects are big enough to make this relevant? Talk to us a little bit about how this even gets on the roadmap. Yeah, sure. So, ultimately, uh, a company, uh, or if a, if a company is building an AI model and then selling the predictions of the AI uh, model, then yeah, there's always then also the question, okay, how well is the AI performance in, performing and how robust is it? And yeah, in case the AI really matters for the end user, the predictions really matters. So in case the, the predictions of the AI being wrong too often really lead to some strong financial consequences, some financial downside for the user, then yeah, predictive performance matters. And in this respect, also an insurance of the predictions and the predictive performance of the AI can matter. And here, ultimately, uh, what we do and what we try to achieve is to yeah, really establish a trustworthiness in terms uh, of 
how, yeah, how robust is the AI? So what we want to do is to work with AI providers um, to structure guarantees. The guarantees should benefit the, the end users and they ultimately should tell the end user that, yeah, the error rate of the AI uh, will be below a certain threshold. And in case the AI then produces errors above the threshold, then uh, the end user would receive a financial compensation. And for the end user, the value is um, that, yeah, either uh, the, the AI will work as expected and then the end user will receive uh, the operational uh, benefits of a well-working AI and also the economic benefit from it, or in case the AI falls short relative to, to the promised performance, then the end user will receive a financial compensation. In either way, the end user will have a guaranteed return on the investment for the AI project. Got it. Okay. So this, we're going to get a little bit into the insurance business today, it sounds like. And so I'm really excited to unpack that. But let me, let me share some of the ideas that immediately come to mind about where this would be relevant. And I'm sure you're going to break that mold and tell me about other things. But when I think about, okay, the insuring of AI, immediately my mind goes to autonomous vehicles or transportation or things where the risks are lives. You know, maybe maybe it's medical too, potentially diagnostic tech of some kind. Maybe there's there's some guarantees there. I'm also maybe thinking about financial kind of applications where if we make the wrong trade or something along those lines, we can have a gigantic negative financial consequence based on the decisions of an algorithm. I immediately go to things of that level of consequence, but maybe it's much more mundane. Maybe it's some some chatbot application for fashion retailers that want to sell more makeup. I mean, t- talk to me about, you know, I-, I would think grandiosity of impact when I think I, I want to pay for actual insurance. Tell me if that's a wrong assumption and, and what some examples are. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's clearly relevant, but also for yeah, applications uh, which a company is just using to, let's say, reduce costs or optimize uh, business processes. But in case the AI wouldn't work well there, that ultimately I destroy some economic value. I'm ultimately not work, or the AI might not work as well as expected. Then I m- might need to ultimately yeah, shut down the process. I might need to bring in workers uh, to take up uh, the the tasks of the, of the AI, all of this causes costs. And even those kind of scenarios, which are purely operational and might also be just purely to you know, optimize processes within a company, they also can guarantee add value simply by saying, okay, I'm really securing your investment in this project in ultimately adopting an AI solution. So an example there could be if we are looking at a yeah, as, uh, at, a, at a company which is building an AI model in order to toxic content moderation. So it's a, it's a company we worked uh, with, which is yeah, building machine learning models to classify toxic content on social media platforms. So for example, whether post might be a weapon sale or a truck sale post. And yeah, that's, that's of course quite important for the users, but it's also quite important for the social media platforms in order to moderate yeah, the, uh, the content on the platform effect, effectively. So they would like to have a solution which yeah, uh, puts the critical posts high on the radar on the moderation teams. And uh, the company we worked with put an AI solution in place which ultimately promises that. And what we are doing here is uh, that we work with the company to put a guarantee in place, guaranteeing certain efficiency of the AI. And in case the efficiency levels are not achieved, then the economic benefit in terms of taking work off the moderation teams uh, for the social media platforms 
is also not realized. They might still need to have yeah, more moderators might be involved uh, and are working longer hours. And so the benefit of the AI project is not realized. And then in this situation, uh, the guarantee would uh, pay out and cover this economic shortfall. Got it. Okay. So th this is, uh, yeah, this is nuanced. I'm going to, we might get into some more examples, but let me just poke into that one. So that's a great one to start off with. I appreciate you listening it out. I'm thinking to myself, okay, so the the numbers around, you know, how efficient is this model? I think what vendors learn very quickly in the AI space is that there's 5,000 ways to do that. Like we help with call center efficiencies. Okay. Which of the 7 million ways of possibly measuring that do you do? And then what are the hand-selected set of features that you decide to, to use as the main signals when you, you could do all kinds of stuff. We could base it almost entirely on customer service scores. You could base it almost entirely on other kinds of time to resolve different issues. There's so many ways to proxy these things like risk. And there are also ways to make the numbers kind of flubby, right? Decide to not really include the weekend numbers because uh, we don't like how that looks or whatever the case may be, right? There's all kinds of ways to flub that. I'm thinking to myself, if I'm in your shoes in the insurance business, the reason they're purchasing this product is they want to make sure that if that algorithm goes rogue and they end up spending an astronomically greater amount of time or, or you know, maybe new hires or whatever on filtering out these drug posts or, or these, these nudity posts or whatever, that like they'll, they'll be compensated for that. It almost feels like, how do you know that they don't that they can't just say, well, you know, it was less efficient than we thought. We will need some of that money now. It just feels like there's so many features and factors, and there's a lot of black box elements to detecting images, right? And and how we tweak and, and adjust that. How do we realistically have one lockstep as to this is what our efficiency threshold is? Because it, it feels inherently fuzzy. But how do you solve for that? Yeah, sure. I think what we was in force is that there's a clear agreement between the client, so the, the end user um, of the AI model, and the provider of the AI model. So what does really count for the end user? So how does uh, the end user really look at the performance of an AI model? I mean, in the toxic content moderation space, it was ultimately basic precision recall rates on a monthly basis uh, that we used. In other cases, it might uh, be yeah, for example, in a, in a case where we backed a machine learning model doing fraud detection in the credit card um, space, was really ultimately yeah, just the, the false negative uh, rate. And so it very, very much depends on uh, what, yeah, what the end user really cares for. So how does the end user really look at the performance? And then we take this the statistical measure and say, okay, based on uh, the statistical measure, based on our risk assessment of the data science process, based on our assessment of a statistically sound testing procedure for the machine learning model, what is the probability distribution for this metric for the machine learning model? So how does it uh, uh, vary? Because at the end of the day, a machine learning model will always exhibit some error probability um, and some probability of falling short. So for us, it's then the task to yeah, find a good representation of this probability distribution. This is then what we use to set a guarantee threshold and then to set also our premium, what it would charge for guaranteeing this robustness level of the AI. So in this respect, we bring in also some kind of honesty in terms of yeah, this is the claim in terms of, uh, of the robustness of the AI that we can back for this kind of costs. And if this is good enough for the user, then the user can have trust in that. 
And if it's not good enough for the user, then might not, yeah, the machine learning model might simply not be fit for purpose for, yeah, for what the user wants to do. Huh. Okay. I'm sure there's a chance that, that there's a dumb element to this question, but I want to ask it because it, it feels, it feels warranted. So in any, the insurance world, its own ecosystem, and there's of course potential incentives, you know, fraud is a thing, right? Uh, fraud is real. Post COVID, you know, a lot of companies kind of saw an uptick in this. And in terms of AI solutions in insurance, underwriting and, and fraud prevention, as far as our research goes, something like 40% of the investment of the big guys in the United States. I mean, mostly US firms, I'm sure it's actually somewhat similar in, in Europe. Big dollars there and, and big issues there. When it comes to this kind of a solution, I'm, I'm almost thinking, okay, let's say I'm this large social media firm. I want to detect this kind of you know, negative content. And if, if my model isn't, isn't effective at a certain level, I'd like to be, you know, make sure that I'm kind of compensated for that if there's some catastrophic risk. What are the thresholds to not get a number of different insurance programs for a number of statistically significant things and then be like, man, you know, we should, we, we sure could use some more dollars, you know, next, next quarter. You know, is there some way to kind of put a small wrench in the gear so it drops a little bit below that threshold and we can kind of cash in on this thing? Because these systems feel so open-ended to small influences that could just change that risk number. Like you said, you want to hold it down, but- you're talking about detecting content. There's some some new video format that Instagram just invents, right? They invent overnight. Okay, how does that factor into the model? Do we say, oh, no, no, keep out that kind of data because it's novel since before we wrote the policy. Can we do that? I mean, this feels endlessly complex in terms of loopholes. What are the incentives to not say, hey, it went below threshold. We'd like to be paid out on this. I mean, it feels complicated, but you let me know. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, the payout function is really let's say, a, a function in terms of the the shortfall. So in case the shortfall is just a little, and also the payout would be just a minor amount. In case the, pay, uh, the shortfall is big, then also the, the payout uh, is, is bigger. So it's really taking into account how well does the AI perform and how far does it fall below expectations and below the guaranteed levels. Um, so this is one one way how to ultimately yeah, address that. Another is simply a matter of how, how do you set up the yeah the testing in production? So how can ultimately a client say, okay, my AI model that I purchased there, or uh, the predictions that I'm uh, that I'm ultimately getting from this from the service, they don't really work well. Um, so in most uh, cases, our client, this is the AI provider, will also have ultimately locked the predictions, and then will also get access to the ground uh, truth. So there, at this point in time. The, the AI providers, our client, can already do a check and see, okay, how is the performance evolving? And of course, also monitors in case there are yeah, drifts in my data, drifts and changes in, in, in the correlation structures, and then taking appropriate measures. So we don't need to wait until yeah, the month is, is over to see, okay, how it's, how it's working, but we can constant, const yeah, constantly ultimately see how the system is working out and then taking measures to that. It feels like there's so many ways to stream in an additional source of this kind of data or that kind of data. And maybe you guys are hooked into some of the core data in your arrangement, but can we see everything that's flowing in and exactly what source and its verification? Yes, it, it, the black box element yeah. of this feels wild. And it's it's a new Wild West domain, but it's, it's really, really interesting. I, I guess the other question that's relevant here, just being mindful of our time, but that I know I want to explore is how you come up with these kinds of insurance products. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's not just loss of life. It's anything that's a big economic consequence or a big consequence generally if things 
underperform below a certain threshold. So if it's a big enough economic investment, we might want to think about insurance for it. First time I've ever said that on the show, but maybe that is the future here. You guys are certainly uh, driving that forward out there in Palo Alto. How do you take a look at such an application? Maybe it's the social media one. Maybe it's one for autonomous vehicles if they you know, hit a grandma at some point and come up with that realistic risk threshold and then the agreement around payment and terms. I mean, what, what's the basic process here? Yeah, sure. And I think this also uh, goes a bit into the question of what you asked before in terms of the, let's say, the scope of validity or where is ultimately my AI model really valid? Uh, because it might be uh, truly that, yeah, there is data or changes there which the AI was not really trained to or tested on and um, you cannot really uh, take care of. Yeah. Of course, in the guarantee, uh, there would be then a limitation to say, okay, you can use the AI for those use cases within those specifications. And in case you would use the machine learning model outside those specifications, we cannot guarantee the performance. So this is something what we are taking care of. But the information where ultimately the machine learning model can be used and where it really delivers a, a robust predictive performance and that's something what we figure out together with the AI provider. So we are looking into the ultimately every step of the data science process. So from the data generation and the annotation of the data and um, making sure that the annotation process really yeah, remains stable throughout the lifetime of the model to the, yeah, the model architecture that was chosen, the training procedure, and then also the, especially the testing procedure those procedures statistically sound to the monitoring and the retraining uh, of the machine learning model. So is the monitoring really appropriate uh, and statistically sound for the respective use case at hand? Might be that I might need to use more yeah, complex and better statistical uh, methods uh, to monitor my AI model besides just looking at how the performance fluctuate for a specific use case because I must expect a higher degree of change in my data there, or it might not be the case. And then it might be sufficient to ultimately just monitor the performance of the machine learning model. So this is very much use case dependent. And then we have also the retraining. So in case there's a performance shortfall, how fast can I ultimately go, come back to a robust performance? So how fast can I retrain? What procedures and methods do I use for that? So this is also something what we are looking at. And in each step, we want to make sure it's statistically sound. And then it derive really uh, um, data from a statistically sound testing machine to then derive this probability distribution that we would use to set the guarantee levels and then other price for this guarantee. Got it. So two things to touch in on that. Number one, clearly you have to have a lot of pretty technical folks on your team to even have, know the right questions to ask, right? To ask the question of, of okay, when this does go catastrophically wrong, what are our protocols to getting this back on track and then figuring out how risky those are, how not risky those are, and being able to take that seriously. You need a lot of subject matter expertise and you need a lot of data science expertise. My guess is there's a lot of techies talking to techies to price, to price these particular products out. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we have a team of research scientists um, that we build up um, here in, in Palo Alto as well as in Munich at the headquarter. And they are working with the data science teams and the research scientists at our, at our clients, so at the AI providers. So those colleagues we have involved, but also then, yeah, different domain experts, as you have said. So in case we would, for example, back a 
a company offering a machine learning model to classify malware, so in the cybersecurity space, we would involve our cybersecurity experts. In this Munich Re, we are one of the biggest uh, cyber reinsurers in the world. So we have a lot of domain experts there. Another case might be that we are working with an, yeah, an AI company in the agricultural space. Then we would tie in our agricultural insurance colleagues. And they're also looking at risk, um, more from an actuarial perspective, but they can also bring in interesting, yeah, uh, interesting subject matter expertise there. So as a global reinsurance company active in many different fields, of insurance and in different areas. We have a lot of domain experts, which we can bring in. Yeah, yeah. But it, that really has got to be combined with the with the subject matter experts, right? And I imagine it's a little challenging when if we have a bunch of agriculture folks who literally don't even know what data science is, and then we have a lot of hardcore data scientists out of the really good schools in California have never been on a tractor in their life. You know, like th that's that's a lot of gaps to bridge, but it, it would it would seem somewhat evident that like many other kinds of AI projects, we need a lot of voices to make this work. And the, the tech to tech feels like a big part of the team that you're building up out there. The other question I've got on this briefly is around how nimble and frequently these kinds of systems are, are updating and what your process is to update that. So there's some areas of your insurance products. I'll just give you a random example. Maybe it's like tripping and falling in a shopping mall, right? That kind of insurance, until people invent some new way to walk, that kind of insurance will be somewhat predictable year upon year. We know the foot traffic. We know the number of people that fall down. It's probably somewhat similar the way we price that as maybe we would 30 years ago. With AI, six months from now, what is CPUs might be GPUs. Six months from now, 20% video traffic being what we're analyzing goes to 80% video traffic that we're analyzing. Or... You know, we have new kinds of mobile devices that are hooking into the thing, or, or now we want to use Kubernetes somewhere. This stuff is the opposite of a predictable place. And of course, those are all going to affect risk, and they're all going to affect how you assess risk. What is your process for checking in on these products? And I assume it would have to be much more nimble and hands-on than tripping and falling at a shopping mall. Yeah, sure. So, of course... Machine learning models are updated frequently in order to maintain performance. And that's something what we, what we want our clients yeah, to do, yeah. because we ultimately want to maintain these performance levels. So what we do is really defining more process with our AI clients to say, um, okay, how do they do the updating? And what kind of uh, testing regime do they do to check uh, that the new model uh, they, that they want to push into production is really... Yeah, robust enough um, and can uh, really replace uh, the the existing model. And how do they need to to measure the performance of that? So this is more really a description of the process and a definition of the process that they need to follow in order to update the models. And then, in, as long as they follow this processes, as long as uh, the the performance metric uh, matrices are there achieved, then the clients can update those models. And this is also in our interest to do so. Got it. Okay. So you have to have some kind of fail-safes and agreements in place to say, okay, as we're updating, we'll have to be notified. We'll have to bring in our techies again to talk to your techies and see how this new GPU stack might affect the way that we process these kind of things. And then you guys take that into account. So it's a very living and breathing product in that respect. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah very, very hands-on stuff. I imagine cyber is is similarly the case. Well, you know, it's it's only once every now and again that we get to touch on a topic that in, you know, eight, nine hundred episodes we we haven't touched on before. But Michael, this was a lot of fun. And I think hopefully our audience has seen the beginnings of a much bigger trend for where insurance companies are going around emerging tech. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me then.
So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Michael Berger for being able to join us, and a big thank you to you as our listener. It is always a pleasure to be able to talk with folks who are heading up AI at giant multinational corporations. We love talking to startups too, but it's important to get the enterprise take, and Michael did a great job here today. Two quick notes as we wrap up. Number one, if you've enjoyed these episodes on the AI and Business Podcast where we cover financial services, we have a whole podcast dedicated just to financial services, so uh, insurance, banking, and wealth management. It's called the AI and Financial Services Podcast. I appreciate the heck out of you as a listener of this show, and if you like use cases and you like trends and you want to just get a feed of cutting-edge use cases and trends in financial services, uh, you can go into Google, type in the AI and Financial Services Podcast, or go into Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find it, and make sure that you're a subscriber there as well. We have episodes coming up around applying AI for financial services compliance and regulation. We have episodes coming up on lending, on predicting pricing. There's a lot to cover in FriendServe. In fact, it is an endless stream unto itself. And if you're interested in more of that, then be sure to subscribe to the AI in Financial Services podcast. As I mentioned, you can find it anywhere. And if you're interested in specifically more in insurance, we do have a free PDF brief called the AI and Insurance Executive Cheat Sheet. This is a highlight of key insurance AI applications and use cases in addition to some key terminology. So if you want a quick up-to-speed breakdown of what you need to know in terms of terminology and in terms of basic use case breakdowns for the entirety of insurance, you can go to emerj.com slash INS1. That's INS like insurance and then the number one. And you can download that free PDF brief called the AI and Insurance Cheat Sheet. Again, it's emerj.com slash INS1. So you can sign up there for that particular PDF. And otherwise, appreciate you being here as a listener. Next Monday, as usual, we're going to be kicking off with our AI Success Factors series, our short 10 to 15 minute episodes covering one particular AI use case and one particular factor that allowed that use case to achieve an ROI. So I hope you start your week off right with us next week. I look forward to catching you here. Thanks again and talk to you soon.